Welcome to Awar Wonders Why, a companion podcast to smart enough to know better. This episode is titled Qui Custodit Medicus. As many of you may know, I really like the TV show Doctor Who. It was a major part of my childhood, and even now as an adult, I love it. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I'm always happy to chat about it with anyone who will listen. And one of the best parts about having a podcast is you can find lots of people who want to listen, you strange people, you, and more importantly, people who are very clever who can talk about the stuff you want to talk about. And in this episode, I get to talk to a friend and a writer for Big Finish Doctor Who, Tom Selinski. Let's get to it. Uh, Hello, Greg. Oh, hello. That was... (laughs) Hello, Tom. How are you? (laughs) I'm very well, thank you. I love the fact that I have a seasoned podcaster on who's not going to take my guff. He's not going to wait for me to speak. He's just going to leap straight in and say hi. And I I appreciate that. He's got places to be and people to do. Wait, no, hang on. That's not what... That doesn't sound right. No, it doesn't sound right at all. But how are you, Tom? I'm all right. Yes, uh, I'm. I'm t- a little tired. I'm looking forward to Christmas starting, so I can have some time off. Uh, but uh, very, very happy to take uh, a bit of time out this morning to chat to you. Thank you very much. So, for those who don't know, Tom Selinsky, I, I, well, it says very, very clearly on his Twitter profile, which is where I get all my information from, that and Wikipedia. <laughs> he's an actor. He's an improviser. He's a trainer and a podcaster for the very amazing Best Pick podcast. And he's also a writer. So you've just, you're like a, like a quintuple threat. Like, do, do you dance I, as well? I bestride the world of multimedia like a mighty colossus. <laughs> so Tom Solinsky... Uh, dancing's, dancing's not in my, uh, my uh, <laughs> skill set at, at not, present. Not yet. I was about to say, who not knows yet. what the future is. <laughs> so for those who don't know you, Tom, uh, can, you, can you please give a, a quick, short, but funny uh, pricey <laughs> on your career so far? Um, career, that's a very grand word. Uh, like uh, uh, one of my things I often say on, on meeting people, uh, I find when I meet people these days, nobody does just one job anymore. Mm. You know, we're, we're, we're long past the day, days when someone could say, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost everybody I meet anyway says, well, I, sometimes I do a bit of this, and sometimes I do a bit of that, and sometimes I do a bit of this. So uh, yeah, I've, um, I met you, Greg, uh, mm. because uh, the company that I run used to be much more narrowly focused than it is today. Uh, we used to be uh, an improv theatre company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you used to be, are still an improviser? <laughs> I don't think you ever get away from it. I think it stains you forever. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I haven't performed as an improviser for quite a few years. But yeah, I, But I, yes, I would still count myself as an improviser. I still have opinions when I see improvs. Does that make me an improviser? <laughs> I'm just wondering. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, so that's how that's how we met, and then mm. out of that has come lots of other things. So it has come uh, writing and other kinds of performing and teaching, which became corporate training and podcasting and etc. Mm. etc. Et uh, so yeah, like uh, like everyone else, I'm just trying to figure out uh, what I can do with my particular set of skills. <laughs> And I think that's, yeah, that's kind of the amazing part. Now, I'd like to go back to very quickly talk about the improvising, the improvising days, because I was very lucky to meet you when I started improvising in my, in my sort of mid twenties, early twenties. I don't actually remember anymore, but that period of, of life. Mm. And I was very lucky to meet you and your very talented partner, Deborah Francis White, who were both teaching impro at that time. And I felt that you managed to 
teach me a lot <laughs> about improvisation at that point, which I've taken forward. And I now use it when I'm writing my own plays. And I, it's sort of become more than just improvising on stage. It's sort of yeah, very, very, very important stuff. So I was very lucky to have met you both and to be oh, sort of, uh, to be sort of added. And for those who, those who um, want to learn about impro or acting or just being clever then you you should actually both i should both you should all go and read my two listeners uh, you should both <laughs> you should both, uh, both <laughs> you should go and read the improv handbook daphne uh, and fred hello there <laughs> uh, definitely read the improv handbook uh it was it was my bible when i was learning to improvise and uh and i don't know if, it, if it's in this edition but i i think in one of them i was thanked for being one of the uh people who read it or at least helped read it at the start so look, yeah yeah no i think i think you and natalie are both thanked that's right yes natalie from the raven on podcast so yeah very much uh very much like it. so I'm, I'm just basically got a friend on and just big noting myself that's what this podcast is all about but that's what my <laughs> podcast has always been is just finding inviting people to talk about and to talk to and uh, and run some ideas past which will come later so, so be, oh. be wary of that uh <laughs> online so You've sort of become a writer and you're a performer. You're a playwright as well. So you, you've won awards for different plays. Uh, the Kingmaker and I've forgotten your other one. I'm so sorry. Brexit, of course. And uh, that's pretty exciting sort of stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, that, that's topical. That must be an exciting to write about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the writing, the playwriting stuff came about because in about 2011, uh, an old university friend of mine who I was still very still seeing on a regular basis uh i've been saying to me for ages there's always a market for political plays and at the time the uk was in its first coalition government in living memory a very rare occurrence given the way that our parliament is set up Uh, but the conservative party which had more seats but didn't have an outright majority partnered up with the the centrist liberal democrats and it occurred to me and Robert to wonder, what's it like being the leader of the Liberal Democrats, having done this deal? And what power do you actually still have? And how is this arrangement going to come to an end? Hmm. So we kind of fictionalised the characters and wrote a play about that, which we took to Edinburgh in 2012. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and that was Ed- Ed- Edinburgh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival, fun. for those who don't know what that is. Yeah, biggest arts festival in the world, hmm. uh, on, by the simple uh, means that it has an open-door policy. Uh, so if you can persuade it's absolutely true if you can persuade somebody to give you a space then you can do a show at the edinburgh fringe Uh, you you will not necessarily make money there is not quite enough audience to go around Mm. the uh the uh something like six thousand shows uh Mm. but uh you'll have a good time um we were able to get a a very good cast because uh one of the things we figured out is that uh, we weren't the first people to do this by any means uh but there's a lot of comedians up in edinburgh uh, who uh, are only engaged for one hour a day mm-hmm. doing their own show. Uh, so uh, if you're if you're canny and write a good script and are good at making friends, you can sometimes persuade some <laughs> of these people uh, to spend another hour of their day doing your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were able to send a, a very good cast. So one of the people we cast in that show was a writer and actor called John Dorney, who I'd only recently met in real life, having interacted with him, on a, a Doctor Who bulletin board, a forum. <laughs> right. uh, and we became friends, and uh, he was uh, one of Big Finish's most frequent writers. Oh. And then so he was able to get me and Robert in to Big Finish that way. 
That was your connection through so that's the connection. Yes. So keep you basically a good thing to know, listeners, is you keep your options open and uh, and keep your eyes open. Be be agile enough to leap from exciting and also have talent, and that's also kind of useful. Uh, but yes, keep, don't sort of go. I'm not going to do that. You can do lots of different things. Robert's formula for success: talent plus contact plus time. Yes, exactly right. Before we move on to the big finish stuff, which is what mainly we're going to be talking about today, but I, I just wanted to share with the audience, uh, you taught me, I mean, improvisation and, and gave me lots of information there, but also you taught me about being a man as well, which I was very impressed with. What? Uh, yeah, I know, I know. You you, may, you probably don't even remember this, but... and <laughs> but we, the we, hell we... is coming <laughs> next to this conversation? No, no, it's fine. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Did we so, go to a whorehouse? I have no recollection. No, 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 not at all. No, 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 nothing like that. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't remember that. But Jesus, <laughs> no, no, it was like, and you told me though, you went uh, a gentleman. A gentleman needs, if you want to be a gentleman, you have to have a high, a high class hobby or high class pastime. And uh, and I, I didn't have any high class. And so at the time, I, I don't think you mind me telling people this, but at the time you liked cigars. Cigars. Oh, uh, true. Yes. So you I had know, cigars. Yes. And you had humidor, and I'd never seen a humidor. I'd heard the word, but I didn't know what it was. And you had a humidor, and I was very, very taken with this concept. Now, I didn't go into cigars, but it's now my high-priced hobby, that the hobby, like pastime that I can talk about, is whiskey, scotch. Ah. So I went off and found scotch, and now I can just talk scotch. What's funny is I'm, I'm just going to – I don't actually like scotch that much. I don't, I don't really <laughs> – it's fine. It's fine. It's fire water. It's fine. Like, whatever. Like, I don't – it's not the liquid of life. It's, shh, don't tell anyone, though. So – yeah, Daphne and Fred, don't tell them at all. So, <laughs> but it's, yes, but now I can talk knowledgeably. I can, my space sides, my eyelids and, and like everything in between. I can, I can really talk about that. So thank you very much for that. I, it, it's impress, it's a, uh, impress people who didn't deserve to be impressed. The smoking ban killed off my cigar hobby before it uh, got out of control. It's probably a good thing. It's probably, probably a good thing, yeah. <laughs> probably a good thing. Yeah, there, are, there are healthier hobbies to have. <laughs> like drinking fire water. All right. <laughs> So what I want to talk today about mainly is is Doctor Who because mm. you and I both love Doctor Who. We're both we're both uh, men of a certain age, and uh, and it's been in our DNA for quite a long time. I'm going to assume. Uh, I'm, I know for me it definitely has. And uh, well, one of the things I was thinking about this morning is that uh, your relationship with Doctor Who might be slightly different than mine because you are Australian. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, growing up watching Doctor Who in the eighties. Uh, Australia was sort of the promised land. <laughs> yes. Because do you know what you got that we didn't get? No. Repeats. Yes, yes, we did. Yes, it, it was on forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Yes, pretty, it was. I, pretty much everything from Terror of the Autons to the Horns of Nymon yeah. uh, was just shown in a continuous loop. That's because uh, the ABC whereas, had no money. They just had to, they just had to ask the BBC for stuff and pray. Whereas the BBC had a sort of informal policy of not showing... Doctor Who episodes from previous Doctors. Oh. So as soon as Tom Baker took over, there were no John Pertwee repeats oh. anymore. And there weren't very many repeats anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. So, And then um, when John Nathan Turner took over as producer and Peter Davison became the Doctor, we, could, we didn't see Tom Baker on screen oh. for, for years. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and this was before the days of home video. Uh, so uh, the, uh, bootleg off-air recordings from Australia... <laughs> Changed hands among British fans, often third or fourth generation copies, sometimes for quite considerable sums. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and so there are, there's a whole generation of British fans, me included, whose first recollection of, uh, I'm thinking particularly of Inferno, mm-hmm. the uh, John Pertwee story, includes 
a self-consciously trying to be funny continuity announcement uh, from uh, an ABC uh, 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 announcer over the end credits. Oh, no. Right. That's it's funny how it's sort of weird how it works, because we had the same thing with the TV show The Goodies. So Timber Taylor and Graham Garden and Bill Oddie. Never repeated here. And it was huge in Australia. I mean, for once of its time, and, and I, it, it's to me, the goodies is as big as Monty Python. Like just because they're in my mind, they're about the same size, but they weren't, they weren't everywhere else in the world. And to the point where I always love the story that um, before, way before he died, Tim Brooke Taylor unfortunately passed on. He found out that there was some sort of convention in Melbourne here in Australia. And, and he, and it's, I think this is the nineties actually. So a while ago now. And, and they said, Oh, well, could we, could we use footage from the goodies? And he said, sure. If I can come. And they're like, Oh my God, Tim Brooke Taylor wants to come to our convention. <laughs> and he's like, yes. And so they flew him and, and later on Graham Garden, they've all come. And he just suddenly realizes in Australia, the goodies was just massive because it was on all the time. It was just this show they played after the news or before the news. I can't quite remember anymore. So it was Doctor Who or the goodies or both. So it was, it was just this wonderful moment, but we found out later. It was a lot more had a lot more boobs in your version. Like there was there was there was there was nudity in the goodies, which Australia was not like no 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 no. That was all cut out. So uh, but they but they left they left in the casual racism. So that was nice. Uh, so we, we got we got the blackface. Oh, <laughs> I know. Look, it was of its time and la 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 la. Problematic now. Um, but yeah, still. <sighs> Let's talk to Doctor Who. Uh, uh, so I I can honestly say that I was one of the people as a child who, you know, they talk about hiding behind the couch and it's, and, and I was one of those kids, like no word of a lie. Doctor Who was far too scary. I was the, 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 sorry, that's the, 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 Ark in space. I think I remember correctly. And, and people turning into green monsters and goo. And, and you look back now and you're like, well, it's just bubble wrap painted green. But at when I, when you're 10 or so, it's the most scary thing you've ever seen in your life. And it was horrific. Like the doctor, what was the one with the, the fourth doctor who turned into a cactus? That was scary. Megalos. Yeah, they, thank you. So that was scary. And it was really scary for a kid to watch. And Daleks were scary and everything was scary. It was wonderful. And I, and I loved it. And then we were lucky many years. I invited you onto my podcast. I'm just going to tell you all my experiences. I'm sorry about this. <laughs> and then many, many, many years later, when I went to university and they they started doing the repeating again. They started back at, at William Hartnell and they went all the oh. way through and showed everything because the new doctor was coming. The movie 1996 or so was coming soonish. It wasn't quite there, but they were going to show every doctor who episode and they just ran through. It took years, but they ran through every doctor who show uh, every episode ever shown and that you can still get your hands on. And it was wonderful. So yeah, I was I'm going to say not, not quite every, because unfortunately the, the archives are not complete. True. True, true, true. Which is, uh, so yeah, the, the, the repeats that we got, uh, this is kind of where my Doctor Who obsession started was about 1981. Mm-hmm. So a little bit later, I was a little bit, um, a little bit too grown up to be hiding behind the sofa. I was mm-hmm. about like 10. Uh, but, so so uh, was I? What are you saying? <laughs> well, because a lot of people I know uh, started watching at five or six. Oh, and wow. I had this weird idea that, uh, that um, science fiction was boring. And then suddenly changed my mind at the age of about 10. Uh, and uh, uh, that week uh, on, on uh, BBC television, there was a repeat of The Keeper of Traken and the first episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, my, oh wow. Uh, and then I, was, oh. then I was all in. Oh. Uh, but we got the five faces of Doctor Who in 1981 because uh, Tom Baker's seven-year run had just finished. There was going to be, for scheduling reasons, a longer-than-usual gap 
between Doctor Who series, uh, nine months instead of six months. Mm. And the producer wanted to remind younger viewers in particular that other people had played the Doctor. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we got the first William Hartnell story. We got uh, Patrick Troughton in The Crotons. Uh, We got the three Doctors. We got Carnival in Space. We got Logopolis. Uh, And they were uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on BBC Two for five weeks. And it was mm-hmm. amazing. But the reason we got the Crotons, a, a not particularly well-remembered Patrick Troughton story, is it was literally the only four-part Patrick Troughton story still in the archives. Oh, my goodness. So they've... Uh, we've found, a few more have been recovered since then, and now we're getting uh, animated versions because we have the soundtracks of every episode, thanks to the diligent efforts of fans of the 1960s uh, we, with their reel-to-reel tape recorders. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, yeah, it was, the Crotons was the, the only option for a Patrick Troughton four-part adventure. That's, that's crazy. When you think about how nowadays data is just ubiquitous and storage is is ubiquitous the idea of of taping over i mean tv shows they even taped over things like the moon landing and also like you just get oh well time to get rid of all that because because they can't they go it's too expensive to keep and what's none of the 1960s videotapes exist the only (laughs) things we have are are film recordings that's insane i've heard stories that it's australians as you say recording it on on vhs and then giving it back to telling the BBC they had copies of it. The BBC going, can we have that, please? So they, they could get access to certain stories that they thought lost forever. Yeah. That, oh, there's that... some extra- extraordinary stories. So um, Terror of the Autons, we had an Australian, but no, I think an American off-air colour copy mm-hmm. and a black and white film recording. And the black and white film recording was very good quality. It was very sharp and very detailed, but it was black and white. And the American... Uh, I think it might have been off air. I'm not sure, but the American was in color, but was very soft. Uh, but they were able to combine those two sources mm. <laughs> and and thus get a a sharp, clear color version. Um, do you know about Chroma Dot Recovery? No, no, I do not. All right, so. I didn't see I didn't see that episode. I'm afraid. <laughs> so this is a, for, so for science as I understand it, this is sort of podcast is going out to people who like science. This oh, is yes. an incredible yes. bit of engineering. Excellent. So uh, the reason that black and white film copies of color episodes were being made is that all over the world there were different standards for how to transmit color television. At least three major, probably a few more as well. Uh, but everybody could transmit material supplied as 60mm black and white film. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those early 70s Colour Doctor episodes were shipped overseas as black and white film recordings. So these are made simply by pointing a black and white film camera at a colour monitor. <laughs> and what you're supposed to do is calibrate everything so there's no flicker. Mm. What you're supposed to do is also calibrate everything uh, so that there's no interference patterns. Uh, mm-hmm. Because of the uh, because you've got a black and white camera point, you get a color source. This was not always done perfectly, right? What that meant was hidden in those black and white film recordings are interference patterns that should not be there. Okay, and those interference patterns contain information about the color <laughs> that was on the monitor when it was being filmed. Because and for I'm, some, for some so, old episodes, yeah, they've been able to unpick those interference oh patterns in that black and white film recording, 
and recover the colour that was originally there. That's madness. So isn't that but, insane? So so what it really is, it's that if you had a red screen and then it would interact with your black and white camera in a certain way and create an interference pattern of a certain type, and therefore you can extrapolate if you know the camera what the colour was on the screen. Exactly. That's that is that's. Look, that's bonkers, isn't it? That's that engineer deserves a Nobel Prize because <laughs> that's like I would he wouldn't even consider that. It's just noise. Yeah. But oh my goodness, that's yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of uh, a couple of Don Pertwee episodes which were long thought only to be available in black and white, which we now have in color. Amazing, that that's spectacular. I love it. I absolutely love it. How like oh, I love the fact that a it's just a TV show, like it's just a TV show. But you're like someone loves it that much, they're gonna. Yes, use their mighty, mighty brains to save it. Ah, well done. Well done, nerds. Well, that's <laughs> in the nicest possible way. I doff my cap to you. So this leads us to now the, the, the era of Tom Selinski and Doctor Who. And, uh, I've always, I've always fancied myself as, as a, um, as, I'd love to be involved in Doctor Who. I mean, on any level, as an extra, as a, as a, as a backstage person, whatever, or, or, or as the doctor, you know, I'm just, just putting the idea out there. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> it's all fine. Any level, any level will be fine. Uh, the TARDIS, that's fine. I can wear a blue shirt. And, but you have actually kind of come a bit closer <laughs> than I, than my dreams. You've actually written for the doctor in, in some ways, which is kind of exciting. That's, uh, that must be a, a yeah, bit so, of a dream come true. Shall I explain who Big Finish is? Please do, yes, yes, for yeah. our audience. So uh, Doctor Who, the television show, went off the air in 1989 and various things flowed in to fill the gaps, some more fan level, some more professional. Uh, so there were original novels almost as soon as the TV show finished, for example, uh, professionally published but mainly written by people who had been fans of the show. Uh, Big Finish started in 1999. Uh, and they were able to get Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Sylvester McCoy all on board mm-hmm. to reprise their roles and create essentially audio plays. So these were radio plays. So these were uh, originally available to buy on cassette or CD. Uh, they're now more available for download. And Is they it- are episodes of Doctor Who, but in, in audio. Is was it the BBC saying sure use our IP or was it be part of the BBC? Is it, is it separate? No, it was the BBC saying use our IP. Mm. Uh, so uh, they had to. They they'd been doing uh, amateur fan audios for a while, just sort of sold at conventions on cassette, mm. and then they saw the opportunity to take it more pro. Uh, there's a character from the novels called Bernice Summerfield who is a space archaeologist. And if that sounds familiar, you're not <laughs> oh, the first yes. person to think that. Yeah. Um, and so they, uh, because that was a character created for the Virgin books, that was a bit of IP they were able to get very easily. And mm. so they spent, I think, a year doing The Adventures of Benny Summerfield to prove to the BBC that they could make <laughs> uh, audio drama at a, a reasonable quality. And then the mm. BBC gave them the license. Uh, that license, uh, this week, uh, was extended to 2030. So, okay, good. Another nine years, uh, that's great. Yeah, so they've they got access to everything from uh, William Hartnell's Doctor all the way through to Peter Capaldi at the moment. Uh, ah. Though, as of this recording, Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi have not so far recorded any episodes, uh, but they have okay. stories featuring that character. 
Yes. And do they get it? So sometimes actors don't want to be involved and maybe in the future they might choose to be, but do they get stand-ins then? Would they get someone else who can do a Matt Smith-like accent or, or would they, they just a, not they, do those? Would they not just do those stories yet? There's a couple of things they do. So we wrote a story uh, for uh, the uh, Ian McNeese's Winston Churchill. <laughs> who's appeared in a couple of uh, Matt Smith episodes and it's sort of implied in those television episodes that he's known other doctors. Mm. Uh, mm. So there are a couple of uh, CD box sets about the, the other adventures that Churchill had with different doctors. Uh, and so those are narrated by Churchill uh, and all the other characters are played <laughs> by different actors, mm-hmm. but you're allowed brief appearances by different doctors. Uh, so the 10th okay. doctor pops up in ours, uh, but David Tennant was not in the studio. Okay. Ah, uh, right. Fair enough. That's, that's, there's my question. I, I just, when you're writing for the doctor, do you have to think it's the fifth doctor, it's the 10th doctor, it's the first doctor, it's the 12th doctor, whatever? Or do you just write the doctor and just, and just go from there? Like how, like how do you, what's, where's well, the line on that? Chibnall... <laughs> now, now. <laughs> fight, 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 fight. I've always one of the best pieces of writing advice I've ever had is uh, have an actor in mind. Okay. I think uh, even if you're writing something purely on spec, if you've got an actor in mind, you can hear the voice much more clearly. Uh, mm. It's a sign of good writing. You should be able to cover up the names of the characters and just look at the dialogue and know who is speaking every single time. Uh, and if you can't do that, it suggests that your characters all sound the same, or that you you haven't you haven't found individual ways for them to express themselves. <laughs> no, absolutely there's there's uh, you you couldn't take a script that we've written for so we, we've written for the first fourth fifth and tenth doctors now wow. uh, yes. and uh, yeah there's no way you could you could switch any of that dialogue over you, you mm. have to have the actor in mind i guess it, the doctor does change quite a bit through through different incarnations there's there's a core uh maybe not maybe i mean you could argue the point maybe not the first doctor that was like the, the, the teething of it all, uh, you know, working out what the doctor actually is. But later on, you can definitely feel, that, especially the much later ones, you can start sort of seeing that core come back and uh, different doctors sort of come around. What, what's, what did Tom Baker say as the curator? Um, uh, yeah, so you'll, you get to pick new faces, but only the old favourites. So <laughs> yes. The, uh, heavily implying something there that maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. So it's, it wasn't... Was it a thrill to write for the Doctor and especially to write for Doctors that you've worked, like you've watched and, and sort of grown mm. up with and like Peter Davidson? And, and yeah, did you get to work with the actual actors? Like just too many questions there. Far too many questions. I'm far too excited. I'm sorry, sorry so for that. The first, the first one we wrote was uh, for a range <laughs> called The Early Adventures. So these are another one of those like hybrid ones, little bit audio book uh, and a little bit radio play. So these, the ones that we did were narrated by Peter Purvis and Maureen O'Brien as Stephen and Vicky. Uh, so it's sort of the middle of the first Doctor's tenure. Uh, and we did one historical story, one science fiction story. And then we got to write for Peter Davison. And that was a full cast audio adventure. That was a thrill on a number of levels. So firstly, we get a real Doctor in the studio. Yes. Uh, but also, this is the Doctor that I grew up with. Mm. Uh, that's, that's the TARDIS team that I remember watching when I was first getting into the show. Uh, so that was particularly particularly exciting. The TARDIS uh, team the things... who, who makes fun of my hometown of Brisbane, Queensland. But that's fine. <laughs> the Butcher of Brisbane. And then also, what was it? Um, uh, um, it's the Null, the, Null, the Null Zone, the Null Space, which is uh, the most boring place in the universe. You haven't been to Brisbane. I was like, thanks. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brisbane. Uh, one of the things we try to do as well is think what have 
these actors who've been playing these parts for so long not had a chance to do. So for our Peter Davison story, we hit on the idea that we split the TARDIS team up because there's four regular characters, which is arguably too many. Mm. Uh, and uh, they're dropped into this situation where there are these two different factions uh, and uh, they're waiting for this master assassin to turn up and then uh, each a member of each faction has to pretend to be this master assassin in order to, to stay alive. Uh, <laughs> and we thought the person who should be most successful at this uh, should be Nyssa. Right. Uh, because uh, we thought we haven't, we haven't seen Sarah Sutton do that and, uh, mm. and that would be fun. Fantastic. So everyone else is floundering and she's just, no, I know exactly how to do this. Stand back, watch me work. <laughs> and, to, and, and was she happy to be doing something interesting in you? Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's fantastic. I love it. So you got to work with these. What was it like working? I mean, I just kind of asked, what's it like working with someone like Peter Davidson? And, and were you able to play it cool? Or did you just have to go? I think so. I mean, it's a very uh, warm, friendly atmosphere. Uh, mm-hmm. There's different actors coming in and out. Uh, in these days of COVID, this is less so. But uh, mm-hmm. anyone who's listened to a big finish CD and listen to the interviews of the cast afterwards. We'll, we'll hear uh, the stories of Toby's lunches. Uh, Toby who <laughs> runs the studio somehow manages to find the time to rustle up these amazing lunches. Uh, so everybody goes crazy for this fantastic spread that suddenly emerges from this tiny galley kitchen, uh, which presumably is bigger on the inside. It's the only way I can see <laughs> this can be achieved. So it's just a really friendly atmosphere uh, and, there's always two or three people in the studio, two or three people in the green room. So as the writer, there's not a lot for you to do except occasionally answer some questions. So you can hang out in the green room, we can hang out in the studio as you mm. as you like. And everyone's just everyone's just really nice because, you know, it, it's not very well paid. So right. you may nice. as well have fun. Yes, and have a nice lunch. So if people if people are aspiring writers and 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 also Doctor Who fans and or any kind of genre fan, I guess, what's what would be your advice to getting involved in this sort of stuff? I mean, how do you how do you get noticed? I mean, surely you can't just keep sending them things. They'll probably tell you to stop. Uh, and send, or is it is it just keep your work out there? Or, yeah, how, what's your advice if you yeah, have any? Yeah, keep your work out there. Um, it's it's always a mistake, I think, to be too narrowly focused. If you think, I, I want to write for Big Finish, that's all I want to do, that's mm. a very difficult goal to achieve. But if you put a play on, if you make your own audio dramas and put them out as podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, if you do that kind of thing, uh, if you get an agent that doesn't hurt, mm. uh, then uh, all these things will, will help. Uh, and um, there are... Are writing competitions they run from time to time, uh, which I think uh, can be worth entering. I think there are people who've done well in those competitions who've gone on to write for the show. But uh, yeah, as we said at the beginning, talents plus contact plus time. And so if you if you meet someone at a party who has some connection, <laughs> uh, that doesn't hurt. Yeah. No. Look, that's I think that's one of the things I would tell anyone on anything on any any job in the world is is. Be nice to people because yes. you never know who they are. And I mean, she just be nice to people because be nice to people. But yes. but it's it's very weird. You go, oh, I was nice to that person, and now they run the BBC or whatever, you know. And you're like, oh, yes. I made a terrible error. Uh, so yes, it, it, there is. Yeah, strange enough, karma will come back in the end, one way or the other. All right, here's the big question. So now we're getting to the big stuff. Okay. You're an Englishman, I do believe. I do believe you are. True. Englishman born and bred. And that means that if enough people died, I think you could become the king of England. I think that's how it works. Like you could, if enough people like that, that's what I can't, what I'm trying to point out is I can't, even as an Australian, though we, we, we also have the same monarch somehow. We, I can't become the king. I can, it's not going to happen. So that's, that's something I can't do that you, uh, that you can do. 
Now, I don't believe they would allow an Australian to be the showrunner for Doctor Who either. But as an Englishman and as a writer, you have much greater chance of, <laughs> of being the Doctor Who showrunner. I mean, so here's- you say that you say you couldn't be showrunner, but let's not forget Sidney Newman, who created Doctor Who in the 1960s, was Canadian. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fair so enough. I wouldn't. I wouldn't, wouldn't uh, really oh, oh, Don't give me hope. Don't give me hope. Uh, <laughs> so, but you're you're probably closer to it because you know you, you can say, oh, I've sort of written for it, and, you know, and enough. There was a, that huge explosion at, in at, at the BBC, and now like you know, I'm, I'm, you're ready, you know, and with yeah. no, and and allegedly nothing can be trained back to you. Everything's <laughs> fine. Uh, <laughs> There's a couple of things I'd say about that. Uh, firstly, uh, as I understand it, uh, running Doctor Who is not uh, a, uh, an inherited title. Uh, uh, I, I don't cool. think we can play uh, kind hearts and coronets here. Uh, and uh, if enough people die, it'll just be my turn. Uh, secondly, and I'm being absolutely sincere when I say this, I do not want the job. Okay. There you go. I do not want the job in, in any way at all. Okay. Uh, it is... I mean, on, on a couple of... Firstly, there are people I would uh, I would shove ahead of me in the line. Sure. Absolutely shove ahead of me in the line. Uh, first of all, uh, the aforementioned John Dorney. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, friends who've written for the series already who clearly, therefore, have more qualifications than I do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so they would... If, if for some reason John turned it down, which I don't think he would, but who knows, I would definitely push them ahead of me next. Uh, it's, but it's, it's a terrible, terrible job. <laughs> you know, it, uh, it's 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 murder uh, mm. and and look at the hate you get online you, yes uh, yes I you mean, can do nothing who, right who wants that yes. you so can't you're always going to you're always going to, di- to displease a uh yeah. a vocal minority mm-hmm. uh and so uh i remember russell t davies got absolutely panned and now he's loved and then stephen moffat <laughs> yes. was the same everyone's like we hate yeah. you and then and then now he's loved and chibnall you know is not doing great and and maybe in the future he might be loved um so it's it, yeah, yeah i i see what you're saying about that it would be difficult but tom selinski <laughs> gun to your head yeah you you have to take the you have to, I'm, I'm making the hand gesture now you know it's getting serious so the finger guns if you became the showrunner i'm asking you for free <laughs> free ideas now <laughs> welcome to my podcast talk to me now give me all your ideas that's that's how writing works of course uh but but do you think the question I guess I'm asking is if you're working if you were the showrunner of Doctor Who or had some influence on it would you want to reinvent would you want to uh stay safe in an area or would you want to sort of shake it up a lot like what's your feeling on that well this is why I don't want the job because I don't have an answer to that question fair enough Uh, so um the uh what Russell did in 2005 was so extraordinary because it gets harder and harder to find that. That going back to that thing you were talking about before, like what's what's the thing that makes the Doctor the Doctor mm-hmm. throughout all these different incarnations? We still recognise this character, even though there's on its face very little to connect, say, the seventh Doctor to the third. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these don't look like the same character at all. But you start finding these little things. That, oh, that maybe that links them. Maybe that links them. Uh, and the way that Russell was able to make it make sense of the 21st century when it had kind of become a joke mm. was amazing in ways that the, the 96 television movie didn't manage to do at all. Mm. Uh, they, they, they fumbled it in all sorts of ways. There's a lovely story that Russell says uh, he had the same conversation with a number of different writers uh, who submitted 
their first draft scripts and you say, yes, you know what everyone does. You've written John Pertwee. <laughs> uh, but you can't have Chris Eccleston calling anybody my dear girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, one... it, was, it, was a, it was a relic. And suddenly when Chris Eccleston started playing it in that leather jacket, it became contemporary. Mm. Yes. Uh, and then I've, mm. I loved all the Doctors that followed. Uh, I think that I'd love to see what Eccleston did in his second year if he'd stuck mm-hmm. around. But there's a little bit of a tension I can see between Russell wanting to write a very kind of uh, uh, casual, uh, cheeky character mm. and Eccleston's acting style being more at home in the more intense scenes. Mm. Yes. And as soon as David Tennant takes over, it kind of snaps into focus. But I do believe if they'd had a second year together, they would have found uh, more of a, an, a, an easy rhythm. Mm. But... Uh, it's not really a leading man role. It's a character actor role. And that's, I think, what makes David Tennant's success so remarkable. He's mm. basically a leading man actor. Yes. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. he manages to find enough kind of quirk, enough kind of idiosyncrasy to make it work. And then I've been rewatching some Matt Smith episodes oh, just in the last few weeks. <laughs> uh, and I've just remembered what a fabulous actor he is. Oh. It's that's uh, thank just, you for saying that. I say, yes, I absolutely agree. David Tennant was such a hard act to follow. Yes, and then every time Matt Smith is on the screen, he's doing something unexpected, something extraordinary, something you didn't realize the Doctor could be. Yeah, I when and, I, I I was very against him. Like I, I did the whole thing of I hate this man or this woman, <laughs> and then and then they become like within six seconds like I love them and I will follow them to the end of the earth. Uh, and so he's this young man who's twenty six, Matt Smith, brewer, who's this? And I love David Tennant. And then he stepped into the role, and very very quickly, I, and, and now especially he's my favorite Doctor, and and that's because when they talk about a uh, an old man and a young man's body, mm. Matt Smith does that you can say that you can say oh the doctor's two thousand years old blah 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 but when you see matt smith and he and it sounds dumb but it's things like he chews his his mouth in, in that kind of old man with fake teeth and it sounds weird but it works and he gets grumpy <laughs> and silly and i just I, he's so good uh just yeah i would never have thought i would have thought david Tennant would be my would be the oh yeah obviously knew who but and, and then i also watched um capaldi recently and and I realized how much I, I went, oh, I don't like him. And I realized that's because he's confronting. That's kind of the point maybe of the original start of the 12th Doctor. And then later on, I was like, oh, no, I love him too. I love them all. <laughs> like, yeah. I, love, I love all the Doctors who, and who they become. And yeah, anyway, oh, sorry, I'm discussing about Doctor Who again. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I, think, and I think maybe slightly unexpectedly, uh, I think uh, taken as a kind of package, the, the uh, Capaldi scripts, are stronger at the very least they're more consistent than the matt smith ones mm. uh, matt smith's tenure i think is dogged by an over ambitious attempt to tell arc stories that don't always make sense and sometimes mm. uh the the running order does them no favors i remember being particularly incensed that uh the the show kills off amy's baby mm. in a really kind of shocking way like uh, snatches her um chance to be a mother away from her and there's the show, it's, it's a tea time family science fiction show. It can't really deal with that sort of grief in any meaningful way. But then because um, some stories were, that weren't part of the arc were juggled around in the running order, uh, the next episode that we got is a parable about the importance of parental love. <laughs> Oops. Which just makes the Doctor seem like yeah. a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> 
because it's heavily implied at the end of the series that he set the whole thing up. Yes, yes, he's Which totally. would have been fine if it had been second in the running order as originally planned, but coming uh, where it does, <laughs> it just makes him look like a monster. It's... So that kind of thing frustrated me during Matt Smith's team, but there's some incredible episodes in that run. Uh, but then mm. uh, the, the Capaldi years, and I think particularly Capaldi's last year, mm. is incredibly it's... strong. It's so it just breaks you. I can't. I mean, obviously, twice upon a time is his yeah. final story is just superb. <laughs> and the, I mean, well, the, when you go back and watch, you go on YouTube and you're watching little clips of things and the the, the Zygon inversion speech, the oh, speech about that. war. Yeah, and and I just and you just Peter back. Harness is one of those people who uh, I I do know personally. You know, we're oh. not uh, we're not uh, close, but yeah, he's been to my house. Uh, he could pick me out of a lineup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we sometimes exchange Facebook messages. Uh, he's such a good writer. Uh, he's he's he, I, I, he was he is a hundred percent someone I would shove it in line ahead of me to run Doctor <laughs> Who. Uh, he would do an amazing job. People need to watch the Zygon version just just for that. I mean, a watch both um, the the two parter, but that's what that's just for that scene when you that's when you go. You, you can't. You have to get the right actor, and and Peter Capaldi is obviously a very talented actor. And it's it's the things that I could never do. And I'm I'm not a professional actor in any way, shape, or form. But it's just when you real the catching the catching in the voice and the and the swallowing of your own words. It's always little things that I watch and go, oh my god! It just and you, and you just I just want to cry with the doctor it's just it breaks me and i'm watching i'm a grown man watching a show i've watched before and it still gets you and you go this is family television like oh it can be it can be extraordinary when it when it chooses to be and you have a visitor <laughs> yes or did the cat has decided she's going to be, come and be part of this podcast <laughs> It's always nice to have a have a friend join us. Yeah, so I, look, Doctor, can I, I, I? I'm going to give you my. It's very important that I give my what I, if I was a showrunner. Um, yes, I, you know what I want to see, and this is, I've always wanted to see the Doctor taken out of being the almost being the the center of it, if that makes sense. Make the Doctor something that happens to people, not the Doctor being the center of it i know that that would make drive people insane and what i mean by that is having people not know who the doctor was and and it just turning up doing different things i think that would be able to show the outside looking in view of the doctor and and how sometimes people see them as, as he or her as a savior and sometimes it's a monster and sometimes it's a it's a natural like a, like a tsunami it's the oncoming storm but that's how we don't get a lot of that i don't think I think it's one of the things that Russell did. It's really instructive, I think, to compare the way that the 96 television movie starts with the way that Rose starts. The 96 television movie starts with a man in a straw hat uh, in a sort of gothic cathedral (laughs) uh, reading a book uh, and then cut to a blue box uh, spinning against some computer graphics. Uh, (laughs) Someone watching this for the first time will have no clue what the hell is going on. Uh, Whereas Rose starts in London in 2005 mm. uh, with a, a teenage girl working in a shop. Mm. Yep. And she discovers the Doctor and we see the Doctor through her eyes. And we That's don't right. see the inside of the TARDIS until she does. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. And the, and the it's iconic... It's really clever. It's and the, really and, clever. And, and the, the line of, run, 
just you're like, oh, we're off, we're off, and we yes. never stop running. Uh, and it's it's such a wonderful. It's funny you talk about um, um, Eccleston, and I remember it's kind of like Blonde Bond with the Daniel Craig era now being over for Bond. And it was, you can't have a Blonde Bond. We'll 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 burn the city down. Like, but that's it's over. And it, I remember remember Eccleston was like, he's in a leather jacket. You kind of you kind of Doctor Who in a leather jacket. It's the end of British civilization. Uh, and and it's funny now. You go, it, he can wear different clothes. Well, she can wear different clothes. She's allowed to change her clothes. It's okay. I change my clothes every day. Why would the doctor be any different? And it's not the clothes that maketh the woman. It's it's the character. And if you're relying on a big coat or or a uh, a scarf, you're probably in trouble uh, at that point. Though, yeah, that's it's always nice to have a big scarf. Never hurts. <sighs> well, Tom, thank you very much. I feel really what I've just come is just got someone on and just yelled at them about stuff I like about <laughs> Doctor Who. So thank you for putting up with me. I appreciate that. And I highly recommend people to go and find uh, Best Pick. So, and if it, Tom's amazing podcast about movies, all the, all the uh, award-winning movies, sorry, the Academy award-winning movies and, uh, and moving on from that now as well. And also if you like Doctor Who, I always watch Doctor Who and then I go find Tom's, Tom's review because normally I agree with it, which is pretty cool. Uh, and sometimes I don't, which is also pretty cool, but they're always worth yeah. a read. You managed to put into, into words what I just experience in screaming normally and angry tantrum like a child. So thank you very much for, for elevating my tantrums to, to an art form. Pleasure. And can I, can I mention a new project? Yes, uh, please. Which is uh, it's, it's not quite as uh, intense as some of the ones we've been talking about, but uh, I'll just back up a little way if you've got a minute. Uh, so uh, a few years ago, uh, we had a Syrian refugee on one of our podcasts uh, called Steve Alley. Uh, and then we were going away and we needed somebody to look after our cats. And when we came back, it was clear that if Steve left, at least one of our cats would go too. Uh, so uh, we invited Steve to live with us and uh, he's still here. Uh, Steve has not seen very much uh, British or American pop culture uh so i showed him an episode of doctor who uh, i showed him star wars for the first time uh, and a few other things and then uh, a few days ago rather crestfallen he said tom i'm so sorry i was at a party and i uh, was talking to somebody and i couldn't remember if it was star wars or star trek <laughs> and i said uh, steve obviously i'm disappointed but i'm more disappointed in myself than i am with you uh so uh we have a uh, an agreement that at some point i'm going to show him at least one episode of star trek good 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 excellent it then occurred to me my own relationship with Star Trek is a bit weird. I, funny enough, I just recently been watching uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, mm-hmm. which is far better than I had any inkling that it might be. It's really good. It's really, really properly good. Uh, but uh, Star Trek for me was the movies mm-hmm. and then Next Generation mm-hmm. and then a little bit Deep Space Nine and then not so much Voyager and hardly any Enterprise. And I thought, how many episodes of the original series have I actually seen? Maybe not more than half a dozen. So a little bit of work with a spreadsheet revealed. If I started watching Star Trek from the beginning in uh, transmission order at the rate of one episode a day, starting on New Year's Day 2022... (laughs) Okay, yes. I would watch the last episode of Enterprise on Christmas Day 2024. (laughs) So I think that's what I'm going to do. Wow, that's and a heck of a ride. A, there'll be a tweet for each episode and then maybe like a, a, a blog update once a week or so. Uh, I did discover there is a, a Twitter account, Trek-A-Day, 
which seemed to be doing more or less the same thing starting uh, in January uh, 2012. Uh, that person got as far as uh, day 16. Right. So I need to get past... <laughs> <laughs> I need to get past the Galileo 7. So that's my, that's my project for, for the next two years. Uh, so I'll see you back here in 24 months' time to see whether I stuck to that or whether I, like the original at Trekker Day, petered out. <laughs> Legend has it that it goes off a cliff with the beginning of the third season. But I don't think I've, I've seen, as I said, maybe half a dozen episodes of the original series. So it's like 80 episodes of the original series, uh, about 20 episodes of the animated series, five movies, and then... Uh, endless episodes of Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and so on. That's fantastic. Oh, well, I wish you Godspeed and uh, to, to, what is it? Second star on the right and straight on till morning and uh, to the get yeah, to the end of this amazing project. That's Peter Pan, but anyway. I'm sure it's Kirk. Ah, oh, no. Well, you'll find out. You'll I'll find, find out. out. Yes. I'll and then you you'll be able to yeah, tell I'll me if I'm right or wrong in probably yes. in September of 2023. <laughs> yes. Tom, thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate your generosity. And uh, everyone, we'll put in the show notes uh, all the links to all the Tom stuff. And you should just go and consume it all. You should just devour it like a terrible beast for culture. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Greg. It's been an absolute pleasure. Big thanks once again to Tom for coming on and chatting to me about all things Doctor Who. Even though he wouldn't tell me what he would do if he was the showrunner, I know he secretly thinks about it. He just has to keep it secret. I understand, Tom. It's fine. I still I still love you. It's fine. If you're interested in keeping up with Tom, and you definitely should, you should go find his blog at tomsalinski.co.uk. It'll all be in the show notes, but easy to find. You can also find him on Twitter at Tom Salinsky, Salinsky with a Y. If you're interested in acting or in improvisation, I highly, highly recommend The Improv Handbook by Tom Selinsky and Deborah Francis White. It was instrumental in all my acting. So if you like my acting, then you can blame that. If you don't like the acting, you can blame me. If you like podcasts about movies, highly also recommend The Best Pick podcast and their book that's about to come out very soon, The Best Pick, A Journey Through Film History and the Academy Awards by John Dorney. Jessica Regan, and, of course, Tom Selinsky. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of the podcast as we bring to an end this year. I believe we have one more main podcast to go before 22 drops upon us like a bird of prey to devour our faces. I hope the end of the year brings you some sucker, some solace, some silence, and I hope that 2022 fulfills you all and keeps you all calm. So stay alive, everyone. We need every single one of you. Just stay alive. We're all going to get through this together. <sighs> Bye. Bye.